Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, May 5th, 2021. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. So uh, just as uh, the Republican Party uh, uh, is starting to lick its chops at all sorts of signs, portents, and, uh, and, and, uh, and presages of a really bad 2022 midterm election for Democrats uh, the, in terms of uh, their ability to, to hold the House. We have now six Democratic retirements uh, from Democrats who are, may well be just hightailing it because they don't think they can win another term. And there's, they have a five seat majority in the house. So right there, if they're right and they're leaving for this reason, you got absent some of the changes from redistricting after the census, you've got the Republicans taking the majority back in November, 2022, but it's like going to be way worse than that. Remember there were 48 Republican retirements in 2017, 2018, that presaged the uh, the the huge Democratic wave of 2018, in which 18 of those 48 seats flipped from the Republicans to the Democrats. So they are they are looking good, and yet they are uh, having a gigantic fight inside their own ranks with uh, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, and the Whip uh, Steve Scalise, basically uh, doing everything they can to um, get Liz Cheney, the third ranking. Republican to resign or before or you know leave before she's ousted at the next meeting of the House Republican co- uh, conference, which I, th- I guess takes place next week. Um, and this reminds me of a Mel Brooks bit uh, with uh, Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks when uh, he's playing an advertising executive, Mel Brooks, and he and 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 he's explaining to Carl Reiner how. Uh, you get out a recalcitrant employee you don't want at your advertising agency. And he says, uh, and they start a vicious whispering campaign. And Carl Reiner says, well, what's the whispering campaign? It's a guy walks up to a, the guy's desk and says, get out by Monday or we'll break your teeth. That's essentially what Kevin McCarthy did yesterday on Fox and Friends, both on a hot mic and on air, basically saying, get the hell out of here. Noah. We all know this because Liz Cheney uh, is uh, continuing to fight the big lie of Trump's claim that the election was stolen and uh, and and somehow that uh, January sixth didn't matter very much. Uh, but well, that's, what, what I mean, is going that's on? Even, I don't even think that's a fair um, assessment of what she's doing when it comes up, when she's asked, when somebody says something with which she disagrees, which is pretty frequently. Um, she has a very annoying habit of not shutting up and she exists as sort of this display of Republican conscience that is very frustrating. I mean, the notion here that she's, what she has done is an offense grave enough to justify ejecting her from leadership. I mean, you can count on one hand, the number of Republicans who had done something in leadership so humiliating to their party or to themselves or to their conference or what have you, that they needed to be ejected from leadership. And it's not as though this, this conference doesn't have a a few of more than a few members who are regular embarrassments to themselves and others. Um, So that just doesn't really wash. I mean, to me, it just suggests that, you know, the party's midterm strategy is to be as united as possible. And the Republican party's voting base Loves Donald Trump, still likes Donald Trump, loves him more when people criticize him, That's which is very important. Um, the antipathy that he generates among his opponents is a key draw for Republican voters. And so, you know, McCarthy's suggestion here that she's just not on the right message is true insofar as their message is not the sort of midterm message you would expect from an out party during a president's first term. It's not the Democrats' 18 strategy. It's not the Republicans' 14 strategy or even 10 strategy. Because they're not harping on the issue set. The issue set is obvious. It's schools. It's the rising cost of consumer goods. It's increased, uh, you know, uh, caution with COVID restrictions. And it's optimism, as I've been saying forever. It's this country is not a racist country. It's this country is, you know, the better days are ahead of us. And we're in a very fortunate position now. And look at that. And, you know, we're going to lead you into this bright new future. That's part of it. But it's not all of it. 
because Republicans aren't, aren't satisfied by that anymore. What they're satisfied by is sticking their hand on that hot stove, even though you told them not to. Okay, it's it's me- saying, you know what? Listen, you can't tell me what the hell I'm going to do. I'm going to do this anyway. And maybe it'll work. And if it does, that will be very satisfying because Republicans are poised to do very well in the 2022 midterms, regardless of whether Liz Cheney is there or not. Okay, so uh, let's let's uh, let me. There are two strands in, in your in what you just said. One is that uh, Cheney uh, is 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 not uh, representative of the views of the majority of the Republican conference. The views of, the, of the, now, as opposed to mid January, where right, mid January she won she won a challenge to her leadership uh, with a with a with a secret vote of 165 to 60. 155 to 60. I, I don't remember what the precise number was, but um, you know, when there was a secret ballot, uh, she, you know, uh, she got three times as many votes as she got negative votes or whatever, or two and a half times, something like that. And the idea now is that that, that won't happen because it's now, it's now like uh, months later and apparently they're all annoyed now. So there's this question, which is, this is not like a virtue thing she is a this is a club uh, these are this is not a national vote this is a vote of 211 people uh on who gets to represent you know who gets to sort of run their internal business and if they want her or they don't want her it's like it's actually not really anybody else's business this is like who's going to you know take the notes at the next meeting Who's going to do X, Y, and Z? If they don't like her anymore, they lost their you know interest in her. They can ditch her. It's not uh, that's that's one thing, right? So there's there's this question of like how big an issue is this? But this, the 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 second, and this is to sort of tease this out, is is this an indication of 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 a Republican weakness going into twenty two or not? And that's where I'm not sure. If what Kevin McCarthy wants to do, the House Speaker, is just neutralize Trump as a potentially negative force of the sort that he was in Georgia during the runoffs, where he lost the Senate for Republicans with his crazy, lunatic, disgusting behavior in Georgia and his idiocy and his recalcitrance and his solipsistic monstrosity that has now led to trillions of dollars of new spending that would not have been approved otherwise. If what Kevin McCarthy is doing is like, I, we need to cauterize this before it gets worse and make sure at the very least that he kind of like helps us instead of hurts us, then maybe it's a, it's a rational strategy. But that's ridiculous because we know we know from just what you described in Georgia, that's not going to happen. I mean, the other piece of news yesterday is that Trump uh, start, I guess he started a blog. I don't know. I don't know what to call it. But what was so what what makes it symbolic is that it's it perfectly the, the format he chose perfectly encapsulates the challenge he will still pose to the Republican Party. It is a one way communication chain. You cannot respond to him. You can only listen to his stream of consciousness, you know, whinging about how he really did win the election. And I actually think. I agree that this the sort of internal leadership uh, debates are don't have a huge uh, don't have huge repercussions, except for this one fact. If she's ousted, that hands the Democrats and hands to, you know, uh, undecided independent voters a perfect symbol of the uh, what they can be told is the future of the Republican Party, which is even a person sort of saying the election was fine and fair and he didn't, you know, who, who disputes the big lie, they get rid of her. They get rid of her from leadership because they believe the lie. That is actually, that is harmful to the Republican Party. And even if he thinks he's doing it strategically to cauterize Trump's impact, I actually think it'll give it outsource impact. Trump will see that as a victory. The people who like Trump and who support Trump will see that as a victory. It's it's not a good thing. Yeah, it's it's insulting to suggest that, you know, the people who are engaged in revisionist history here really want to move on. When you're engaged in revisionism, you don't want to move on. You want to live in that moment forever and dwell and upon is, it and make it all make it central to your identity. And there is going on in Arizona this bizarre recount in Maricopa County, uh, which is going to take weeks. This is after three recounts statewide and in Maricopa County, all this. And the Arizona State Senate got a court to agree that it had the right to get another recount. And you know what's going to happen with this recount, that this firm, Cyber Ninjas, which has been hired to do the recount, which has nothing to do with elections and is apparently 
doing things in contravention of election law and mishandling uh, uh, voter ballots and possibly exposing them and treating them with ultraviolet light and doing all this stuff, they're going to announce that they do not have confidence that the election was fair in, in Maricopa County. That's the whole point of this. They're not going to be able to say they found 75,000 made-up votes. I don't believe that what they'll say is they will just call into question Arizona. Now, by the way, Arizona is not enough to, of course, flip uh, you know an 80-seat electoral majority, but it's enough to create that uh, narrative and uh, in the minds of tens of millions of people or to support it and ballast it. And that's probably going to happen. By the way, the other thing that's going to happen today is Facebook is going to announce whether or not Trump gets to go back on Facebook. And I'm betting Trump's going to get to go back on Facebook because mm-hmm. why would they even announce that they were having this, making this decision right. <laughs> if they weren't going to let him back on Facebook? Anyway. Um, I think there's an, there's another uh, weakness here. I don't know that. It, I don't know how soon the Republicans will pay for it, but um, the whole idea here that Republicans are not focused at all on Biden or Democrats, um, but their their conception of uh, what sh- the next shiny little object is is um, um, so insular. You know, they're 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 looking uh, within their party. They're all worked up over, I don't know, um, woke corporations. Um, they're just they're just not taking the Democrats to task. No, I mean, I, not that no, I don't no, think that more woke to it, cor- the people who are going after that woke corporation thing, like Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz, are endorsing Democratic prescriptions. Marco Rubio came out aggressively in favor of the Joe Biden position on that Amazon warehouse vote, not right. because he was favoring the workers. Because he wanted to stick it to Amazon. Right. Now, I've got nothing against Republicans making a a political issue out of woke corporations and wokeness, the pervading quality of wokeness dominating the elites and sort of putting everybody who is not part of this movement through the ringer to satisfy this unending yaw of, you know, revolutionary change. That, I think, is a powerful and potent issue. Whether the policies that are espoused as a result of it are good or bad, I agree, is something that, you know, is to be watched and gets to Abe's point, which is they're not talking about the policies that Biden is enacting. They are talking about other things. That said, there is a long wait between now and November of 2022. Uh, There is a lot going on. and uh, things are going to change and there are going to be political consequences from Biden's behavior that we don't yet really understand. I mean, I think we are going to see a really dangerous inflationary spiral and Biden will own that. I mean, that just as a, as a matter of course, some of which he won't really be responsible for, but he's the president and he will own it. And you basically, the notion that what they need to be doing right now is honing their message. Like it wasn't really until about now in 2009 that Republicans got their sea legs to start turning the tide against Obama's, you know, gigantic surge in, in, in government. Remember they were in terrible position. They had, they were like 80 seats down in the house. They were, uh, uh, Obama had very close to a 60 seat, you know, impregnable majority in the Senate, not quite yet, but he would for like three months. And, they didn't really know quite what to do, and then they kind of started getting their 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 line together. In part because of the grassroots. Now the grassroots now are corrupted by Trump. But, but that's but that's the okay. opportunity that I think the leader. This is actually where leadership matters because there's an opportunity there to. And I think ousting Cheney is the wrong direction to go. And for this case, but there's an opportunity based on what I'm what we're all seeing in the public's reaction to the continued, you know, uh, the, the very strict restriction COVID related restrictions, the the, clo- the continued closure of schools, a lot of the the sort of the very powerful hand of government in everyday lives right now, which everyone accepted during an emergency pandemic situation, but which now needs to ease, and which we've talked about a lot, a lot of the people who are invested in keeping that power don't want it to ease. The Republicans have a real opportunity here to step in and remind 
the American public what conservatism and what Republican governance would countenance. And it's not what we're doing right now. It's not the kind of very controlled e economic um, spending. It's not keeping, you know, telling schools through CDC regulations to stay closed. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity. Their focus on Trump is actually going to, I really believe it's going to harm them because the voters, those voters who still might like Trump will still care about those everyday issues too. We need to update this because, John, you said that you anticipated that Facebook would uh, remove this ban. Uh, as of now, breaking just this minute, Facebook has upheld Donald oh. Trump's ban on Facebook and Instagram. That is so which stupid. Which is only going to make this <laughs> so condition dumb. worse. Yes. Because He's the, a central, an, the central animating ethos of the Republican Party today is a persecution complex. Well, they've and made him a social media martyr. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're making him a martyr and the persecution, and there is, there is, there is some some element of that. Okay, so I was wrong. I acknowledge I was wrong. I can be wrong. I'm often wrong about the Oscars, though. I got this year pretty close. I got to say, but anyway, uh, I, I I think that it is important to note that the leadership was not responsible for the messaging that took Obama out. It bubbled up from the grassroots. The leadership didn't know what to do. Anybody remember who the speaker of the who who the Republican leader was in the House in two thousand and nine? Anybody? Denny Hastert. Mm -hmm. Denny Hastert, who was then thrown in jail for you know financial malfeasance because it was uh, because the statute of limitations on his molestation of teenage boy <laughs> wrestling boys had had run out. But this is a good point. I mean. Newt Gingrich, out of leadership, because he was a huge embarrassment. Hastert, out of leadership, because he was a huge embarrassment. Tom DeLay, out of leadership, because he was a huge embarrassment. Dick Armey, lost all political authority. Like, you have to actually make a spectacle of yourself to be ejected from leadership or resign. Right. Well, I mean, Hastert, I think, I, I can't actually remember uh, when Hastert, how, how Hastert was sort of brought, brought low. Um, hold on. Maybe I'm wrong here. I'm sorry. I got this totally wrong. I, I'm, I'm wrong. Hastert was not the leader of the Republicans because he was, uh, he was out in 20, he was out in, uh, in 2007. So I, I got this wrong, but whoever it was, <laughs> maybe it was, it was Dick Armand, but he wasn't, he, he stopped being speaker in 2007 and he retired. I just don't remember who was leading. So I, I apologize for being stupid here. Um, about that, but I'm just saying, like whoever it was that has escaped my memory is escaped my memory because he didn't lead the Republican Party against Barack Obama. It was the Tea Party. It was you know thousands of grassroots activists and you know and uh, and Peter Santelli and various other people who really took the lead. And so, uh, if there is going to be a movement, a serious uh, you know sort of populist movement against Biden. It's not coming from Washington. And the one thing I want to object to about the, the it's not that I, I like Liz Cheney and I, I respect her and I respect her commitment to principle. And, and I think she's a very impressive person. Um, but I, nobody in America knows who she is. And the idea that this is something that Democrats can use against Republicans, I think uh, belies <laughs> the truth about the notion that, you know, there are like three people in Congress that people know Right now, I would say Marjorie Taylor Greene might be better known than Liz Cheney. And certainly if Liz Cheney's last name were, you know, were uh, Green instead of Cheney, people would know her a lot less. So <clears throat> I just don't know if that's going to be a, an animating focal, focal point issue to get suburban swing voters to say, I can't vote for the Republicans in 2021, 2022, because... They were mean to Liz Cheney. No, I think. Well, no, I agree. But I think I think the argument that they'll use, which will be persuasive, is this is still Trump's crazy QAnon party. Look at look at these people. These are the people you didn't. This is why we had we needed Biden, and it's actually now why we still need to keep a Democratic majority in the House because otherwise these crazies will be running the show again, and they'll bring Trump back. I mean, I think they just it's the these are Trump people, and if they oust Cheney, they're they're that's a pretty good data point in favor of that argument. I have to say, I think the problem there as a message for Democrats is that it's a bank shot because this is the one time since 2015 that Trump will not actually be on the ballot. Now, they can try to put Trump on the ballot, um, 
or do whatever they can to think because it's be helpful to put Trump on the ballot, but he's not there. And getting people to vote against a force who is not actually the, you know, sort of the person involved is, I think, a little hard. Like you can you can make 2018 a referendum on the sitting president when he's the sitting president. Making 2022 a referendum on the guy who used to be president instead of the guy who is currently president. That I think is a very, very heavy lift. Um, now Trump could be the central political figure of 2022 again, as opposed to Biden, depending on how he behaves and what happens here. So I don't really know uh, where that's going to go. But um, in the end, I think Liz Cheney is going to end up losing her. But let's lo- let's yeah. just you know okay. a thirty thousand foot perspective on paper, okay. without any yeah. names attached to any of this, yeah. a political organization that decides to tether its brand to a twice impeached one term president who maintained the worst average job approval ratings in modern history doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't does it make right. a ton of sense seeing as his signature domestic political achievement was to sacrifice both chambers of Congress in record time. If you, again, ditch the names, let's just say these are candidate X. If that political operation has as its objective, it's, it's prime directive to win political offices in order to see to its voters' interests in power, this is a dumb strategy. So we have to assume that's not the strategy anymore. That's not the prime directive. The prime directive is something different. It's not about politics or good governance anymore, not properly understood. It's about something much more ephemeral, much harder to grab, intangible, something along the lines of, go screw. Yeah, but you stink. And I'm going to do whatever I want to do, especially because you don't like it. But I just think it's simply about the fact that Trump is the only star in the party. I mean, that's, you know, it's it's not about, uh, it's, it, he represents the Republican voters to the extent that they embrace him. It's well, not, sure, but it's, yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, that's not wrong, but he's an unstable star. He's throwing off. Yeah. bands of radiation that are d- destroying everyone around him. I mean, that star is something you should organize a, a moonshot to get away from. Look, I agree, but, you know, that is not how Republicans, a lot of Republicans, voters feel. Like, this is part of the problem with the famous big sort. Like, well, one I of the know, reasons... I'm not, I'm not disagreeing well, with that. I think you're absolutely right. right. They don't, I mean, they're not caring about politics yeah. as we understand it. Yeah, they right. care about something very different. But if districts, if we're, if congressional districts are now 60% or more, you know, like toward one party or the other, right? And, the, you know, the, this is the, the the big sort where everybody is now living in contiguity with people that they are largely in political agreement with. This is a, this is a, a phenomenon, uh, unique, uh, it's, it's sort of unique in American history that this is happening, that people aren't sort of knit together um, much more readily. Uh, if the big sort is, is is having this effect, it's because people in these Republican districts do do like Trump, and the and the, there's no counterweight saying let's move on from them. I'm not sure that the counterweight is stick with Trump, you know, uh, you know, rain or snow, whatever. But if you're making a political calculation, they like Trump more than they don't like him, or they like Trump. They don't like much of anybody else, including their own congressman. And so why arouse the anger of the beast? That's Kevin McCarthy. Like, if you can harness him and you can get him to raise money for you and you can get him not to attack you, then at least maybe you can keep the party together, unified as the anti-Biden force, and then get Kevin McCarthy into the speakership. All right, that that's basically his idea. Now, I think that there this is fraught with peril because Trump is, as you say, an unstable star and an unpredictable player, and God knows what effect he's going to have. He can go off on some crazy tangent and then depress the Republican vote. He did it in Georgia, like I said, at a cost to the federal budget and the health, the future health, fiscal health of this country that we are going to be dealing with with decades because he was a whiny little boy who couldn't accept that he had lost an election. You know, a third-rate 75-year-old baby who couldn't accept that he lost an election, and now we're, you know, we're looking at 4 to $6 trillion of new spending that could have been avoided. 
you know, Republicans haven't grasped that. It's one of the reasons that you can't make that big a case against Trump, because at some point you have to say, why are Democrats even in this position to be to be to be throwing all this money around? You know, if they just if Ossoff and Warnock hadn't won, none of this would have happened. If one of them had won and the other had lost, none of this would have happened. Okay, let me tell you guys about the X chair because I'm I'm feeling a pain in my back now from from my anxiety and rage that I was just expressing here, and I'm glad to be sitting in the X chair because I can turn on that X H that X HMT technology that provides heat and massage therapy while I'm sitting at my desk and enjoy the dynamic variable lumbar support, which offers unbelievable lumbar support to my lower back. The X HMT delivers that heat and massage technology right to my core, increasing my blood flow, my muscle recovery, and my energy, and those four different massage modes. Four different massage modes. Unbelievable. Instead of my old uncomfortable office chair, now I look forward to spending hours sitting in the ultimate therapeutic massager. You won't believe the X chair difference until you feel the X chair difference for yourself. Trust me, this is the luxury supercar of office chairs. X chairs on sale now for 100 bucks off. Go to xchaircommentary.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, commentary.com, or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchaircommentary.com now and use code XWheels for free X-Wheel Blade Casters, xchaircommentary.com. Um, so there is an incredibly alarming piece of news on the COVID front. Yesterday, vaccination levels, if you look at the numbers, they use these seven-day, 14-day averages. So it's like, this is a 14-day average is 2 million. Yesterday, fewer than a million vaccines were delivered into arms. Fewer than a million. Uh, we not just hit the demand wall. Basically, the American vehicle has now slammed into a, 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 the, a wall of disinterest. I don't even know what the hell I'm, where I'm going with this metaphor. Uh, it's bad. Uh, basically, people are stopping the vaccination. The Everybody who wanted to get vaccinated is basically getting vaccinated. Unfortunately, particularly for Christine uh, and me, because we have 14-year-olds, Next week, they will open up vaccinations to kids 12 to 15, and we will be rushing out to get our kids vaccinated, so there'll be a new population looking to get vaccinated. But uh, uh, we continue to look at the moment, April 13th, as being the moment that the vaccine craze ended, and it turned into, it's like it it was a pet rock, it was, you know... It was a, I don't know what it was. It was whatever is the biggest Furby. And then suddenly nobody wanted the Furby anymore. Once it turned out that one Furby blew up, right? Six six cases of blood clots out of 7 million. And they paused the Johnson Johnson vaccine. And Gnug, it's over. Nobody wants to get vaccinated anymore. Great work, everybody. We were talking about the demand decline before that. It was it was apparent that it was coming. We, we were on the record, so we we get to crow a little bit about this. It was you know the Johnson Johnson thing did slam the brakes on it, but we saw the demand decline coming. It was apparent for a long time, which is why policymakers should have been aware of this. And the Biden administration is just preferring to pretend that it doesn't exist. I want to briefly read a little bit from this New York Times piece yesterday that made me actually laugh uh, a physical guffaw. Um, because he gave this brief little speech yesterday about an effort to change Biden, vaccine, Biden gave it Biden, about an effort to change vaccine strategies. Essentially, the White House is saying now, if you're a state, um, you have to actually request this amount of vaccine that you are going to get on a usual basis. It, it's no longer just going to come to you. If you don't make this request, you're going to get a truncated amount. We're going to shift more vaccines around to the places where you have fewer people being vaccinated, as though it's a supply problem. It's not a supply problem. It's a demand problem. So the New York Times reports on this, and they have these three paragraphs that I thought were absolutely hysterical. First, they say the experts say the United States may never reach herd immunity. Um, the nation is you know, is still beating back the pandemic, but you're, there's too many people who don't want it, so we'll never get their herd immunity. Second, they say Biden, during the speech, he says, we're still losing hundreds of Americans age uh, 65 
uh, in under a week and many more getting seriously ill from long stretches at a time. He warned the nation would be vaccinating people well into the fall if this rates persists. And then finally, it says, still, the president said, if 70% of the nation's adults have received at least one shot of the vaccine by July 4th, quote, Americans will have taken a serious step to, toward a return to normal, unquote. That is not an inducement. It's not an incentive. It's not a compulsion. It's not, uh, you know, directing people to do something important. It can only be described as an observation in a, a statement of fact, because that's true. We will have taken a step towards a return to normal. So this, but what is? Why would you even say that? What's the point of even just saying decla- this declarative statement out of the blue? Because they can't bring themselves to make anything approaching an incentive for people to get vaccinated. That's not you're gonna you're saving grandma because they think that should be sufficient. And even to countenance anything that that appeals to self interest is cheap and trite. And it, it offends the progressive project. It should be sacrifice and hardship and pain. And you should be willing to do all of that for the greater good. And they just can't wrap their minds around the notion that they have to give people a reason to do this. So this is what drives me crazy. Uh, when Biden came to office, there was like one weekend there early in his presidency where every news story was about the Biden administration's brilliant revamping of the vaccination program. Uh, they were given nothing. They had, there was no program in place, but what they did is incredible. They, they reversed the course of the vaccine. None of it's true as, as if the Trump administration wouldn't have replenished, um, like, like stocks of vaccine. That was like a a part of what they were claiming, you know, as if the Trump administration, whose baby, this whole thing was, would have, would have, you know, stalled, uh, stalled out on, on giving more vaccines. Okay, so this whole, so that's the story. Biden did this great job, great job with vaccines. Fewer than okay, a million guys, shots yeah. in arms yesterday. I say Biden has done a terrible job with the vaccine. And, and, ah. and here's the, here's we, the we data on, point. I just want to finish one. We were on the trajectory that we were on before he came to office. That was momentum. That was great. He didn't do anything to mess that up yet, but he eventually did on the demand side. Yes. And and here's a data point. If you want to know just how uh, how uh, intractable this problem of getting the, the final group of Americans vaccinated is in D.C., of all places, uh, they where where they were, you know, preventing people from getting vaccinated based on zip code, which was a which was a proxy for race. They are now begging people to get vaccinated. They opened a va- the city opened a vaccination site at the Kennedy Center the other day, and they were offering a free beer to anyone over the age of 21 who got vaccinated. And I still don't think they had a huge number of takers. D.C. people love their free wine and alcohol and cheese. That's the whole reason that like the, the uh, think tank industry gets people in seats for, for projects. And stuff. That's good. Uh, at least it's an incentive. I mean, it's okay. months and months behind Israel was doing this. But you couldn't even do it because vaccines were age limited. But at least it's something approaching a reward, an immediate, you know, sensory reward uh, they're just otherwise they can't they can't countenance the idea that you should have access to things that unvaccinated people maybe shouldn't have access to. Also, also, there is a great injustice going on here in the way Biden and Fauci, because I want to get to Fauci in a minute, are talking about this. Two hundred and fifty million people have been vaccinated. They haven't. It's not both doses. Two hundred and fifty million people have gotten the shot in the United States. 248 million doses have been delivered in the United States. Fully vaccinated right now, 106 million. Percentage of the population, 33%. But once that 248 million, once we get a month from now, that'll be 250 million people will have been fully vaccinated. Then it's like, oh, then only by July 4th can those people expect to, like, live life in a reasonably back-to-normal state. Well, the hell with that. Like, we're all going to be held hostage by the people who, for whatever reason. And by the way, we're now talking about, if we're 250 million, right, That's there are 80 million more people. A lot of them are under 18. I mean, I, there's a we got to we got to start. There, there's something wrong here with the way we're 
were looking at this. And, and Fauci said yesterday that as regards the game of getting us through the pandemic, we are in the bottom of the sixth. We're in the bottom of the sixth. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean we're going to lose? Because if you're in the bottom of the sixth, right? He could have said, we're in the bottom of the sixth, but we're up 10 to nothing. You're in the bottom of the sixth. Anything can happen. There are three more innings. Mary like, Catherine what the Hamm, hell is he talking about? Town Hall's Mary Catherine Ham is a friend of mine and a friend of ours. Had a fantastic observation where she read that remark and said, so this is going to go on for as long as an actual baseball game? You, Your hostility to baseball <laughs> is duly noted. We, we will duly note your hostility. That was very resonant with me. I, I, uh, that, that, to me, framed this crystal clear as a uh, an uh, unsuitable set of conditions we're facing. Okay, I'm going to say it's a bizarre thing for him to say. It's, of course, his classic thing, which is he's always trying to be colorful and cutesy. And, you know, like all of that crap. You know, he's so cute with his cute and he's 80 and he's so cute. So he wanted to say something clever and cute and interesting. And uh, basically, let's just make it clear that that's just a totally... Uh, what would you even call it? Oh, by the way, John Boehner was, of course, the leader of the Republican Party in 2009. So we'll just... John Boehner and Eric Cantor and Kevin McCarthy. Anyway, um, I am... Where is Biden's tribute to the people who've already been vaccinated? I mean, granted, like, they've already been vaccinated, so they already know it's good to be vaccinated. That is happening in democratic states, right? New York is about to re, is about to is dropping all of its capacity limits on uh, you know in two weeks. Why is it doing that? Because Cuomo put his finger in the air and said, "You know what? We got to stop now. We've got it. We really got to start. We got to move out of this because you know uh, it's enough already." And um, and uh, Biden is still saying only by July fourth, maybe it'll be okay. I mean, I, I'm a little, you know, I'm getting a little angry. I'm getting a little angry. By the way, if 200, I, I'm not, I'm not, as I keep saying, I'm not good at math. If 250 million people have been vaccinated in the United States, have had their first shot, right? 30, uh, that's uh, uh, 248 million shots as of two days ago. 33.2% of the population is fully vaccinated now. That would be close to two thirds of the population will be vaccinated by a month from now. If if they get their second are we, shot, are we really? Yeah, what? If they, if get, they get their the second, second shot. shot, I mean, there's reports. Well, of how that many too. people aren't getting the second shot? I know I keep hearing people. Well, actually, aren't getting a fair the number shot. are not returning for their second shot, which is not but great. What, yeah. Do we know what that means, though? I mean, there's still like eighty percent. They still have a you know some protection, but I don't know. Okay. Maybe. Okay. They're not fully vaccinated. The, the Times reported in late April that it was many millions, five million okay, people. Okay, I'm 8%, totally confused. 8% who get their first shot of Pfizer Moderna vaccines have missed their second dose. Mm-hmm. Okay, I am now totally baffled because I've just been leaning into this uh, this uh, administered 248 million doses. Okay, I'm looking at the COVID, the CDC COVID data tracker. Total vaccine doses delivered, meaning sent out. 318.4 million. Administered, 247.7 million. Okay? But it also says people vaccinated. Total, 147.9 million. Fully vaccinated, 106.2 million. How can someone explain the discrepancy here? If 248 million doses have been administered, but only 148 million people have gotten one, one dose... What the hell does that mean? It, it means does, we'll have a we have a partially vaccinated population, which we'll probably have for you know the foreseeable future. They're not going to go get their. Oh second no, no, dose. I see, I see the number. You know what? I'm so stupid that I'm not adding the at least one dose in the fully vaccinated no. to get to 248 million. So congratulations. Now you guys know what an idiot I am and why it's really fun. Never do Abe math I, in your head. This is my rule. <laughs> when when right. Abe and I and 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 Carol, our publisher, and, and Malky, our, our 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 colleagues, sit down to like try to do page counts to lay out the magazine, and somehow I always end up. You have to you have to have 
multiples of eight and somehow i always end up at like 59 and it's like no no you misadded so like so this is really i can't even add up to 56 or 64 so i apologize for this two minutes of nonsense that you i just subjected you to i really do and since i'm gonna now since i've now embarrassed myself i'm now going to read an ad and that ad is of course for expressvpn uh you're browsing in incognito mode so you think you're safe you think people don't know what you're doing you think you're you're what you're up to is shielded and you know what it's not incognito mode is owned by google google sells your data that's how it makes money and google itself has said in a class five billion dollar class action suit against it where it's accused of secretly collecting user data that quote incognito does not mean invisible so google says you know what that thing we're selling you that says you're invisible you're not invisible so the only way to really make yourself uh, as invisible as possible, or the best way, is ExpressVPN. Because uh, one of the data points that they use to get your information is your IP address. Data harvesters use it to uniquely identify you in your location. But with ExpressVPN, your connection rerouted through an encrypted server, so your IP address is masked. That's the same IP address that's used by many other ExpressVPN customers, and the fact of the multiplicity of those users of that in, of that random address makes it way harder for third parties to identify you or harvest your data. And ExpressVPN is super easy to use. Trust me, I use it. And no matter what device you're on, phone, laptop, or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button for instant protection. So if you really want to go incognito and protect your privacy, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN. Visit expressvpn.com slash commentary and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash commentary. Expressvpn.com slash commentary. Okay, so that was really uh, stupid of me. But can we talk about uh, the change in vaccine strategy and then we can move on to the other uh, outrageous topic of the day. Um, so Biden now says uh, we're not, we're no longer looking for, I don't know, the change in vaccine strategy is we're going to give the states where states have to ask or we're not going to send or whatever. And uh, we're going to try to get to, we're going to, we just want a lot of people vaccinated by July 4th. So how is this a change in strategy? I don't even understand it. If there's too much vaccine out and too few arms that it's going into, what does it matter whether you change the way it's being delivered? How is that a change in strategy? I don't even think that, that's just a distributional situational change because we are reading you know, Walgreens and CVS because of the way they function are throwing away a lot of doses, but they're throwing away a lot of doses because people aren't coming in to get the shot. And so people come in, they need the shot. They have an appointment to get the shot. They get the shot. Then other people don't show up for their appointments and they have to throw the, the vial away. Said so in the period in which you could walk out onto the street and say, anybody want to get a dose? And 10 people go, I want to get a dose. And they run in to get back. is over because, of course, we've hit the, the demand wall. So is there a change in strategy? Somebody help me out here. I mean, not, not an effective one. The, the, the change in strategy, which, which at this point, who even knows if it would work, would, is, a, is a messaging one. I mean, that would be the, the change in strategy that we needed all along. You know, it wouldn't be saying... Uh, you know, uh, get your vaccine vaccination and then stay out of restaurants. Um, it would be, you know, tearing off the theatrical post vaccine masks. It would be it would be Fauci saying we have done something so historically monumental here with this vaccine, both in how fast we got it and how effective it is. Get this. It will take you over the course of two weeks from the dark ages to a new jazz age. Go live your life, live it up, have a blast. But this, we're so far down this other weird, dim, dark, um, nothing's ever going to get better, uh, uh, you know, vaccine rabbit hole that I don't, that, that who knows? But, but a change in the supply strategy is, is not needed. Okay, Christine, let me ask you this. Abe said, maybe we should start attacking Biden for bungling the vaccine strategy. And, you know, here, I first I thought, well, that's not fair. And then I was sort of thinking this through. And it is sort of like what emanates from the top. So when Rochelle Walensky, the CDC director, said schools should reopen, right? Jen Psaki, the president's spokesman, said, eh, no, that's only her personal opinion. And then, of course, she backed off. The CDC panel, the CDC FDA people who said there should be a vaccine pause, Imagine imagine a, a universe in which Biden or the Biden people are running whatever COVID meetings they have daily. 
And it's like someone says, you know, we're seeing some worrisome, there's stuff going on with the Johnson Johnson vaccine with blood clots. And someone says, what's the story? And someone says, six out of seven million cases. And somebody says, if you want me to go to the president and say, we're going to pause the vaccine rollout of Johnson and Johnson for six out of seven million, you are crazy. That man will go ballistic. He will not hear of it. How dare you? Are you seriously going to tell me that that is epidemiologically sound? Like, was anyone at the table saying something like that? That's where Abe may really have a powerful point here, which is this idea that somehow uh, they just had no role in any of this when they were perfectly capable of taking a role when it when it, there was a problem with a political constituency that they wanted to suck up to about reopening, but not taking a role when a when when a commonsensical complaint that you were going to pause a vaccine on the basis of point oh 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 eight percent of difficulty and blood clots that were less significant than blood clots that you get from birth control pills. Okay. Well, I think I, I, I agree. I think that there's um, the CDC has, has squandered a great deal of any faith any American has in the CDC right now should not be very high. And it's going to actually take a lot of uh, uh, transformation at that agency to really uh, restore trust in what they say and what they advise. But I, but I do think there's something else going on for Biden. I feel like, remember all the, and you guys know this drove me crazy and I keep bringing it up, but anytime there's a sort of major and, and often uh, uh, tendentious uh, cultural political issue, he talks about how he was elected to restore America's soul, right? He talks in this kind of language of like, I'm, it, it's not just that I'm your political leader that was duly elected to you know, uh, execute what the uh, constitution says I should. I have to restore this country's soul. I don't think that's why anyone should elect a president of the United States. The president of the United States is not responsible for our souls. However, they like that language. And what I see when I see these sorts of behaviors by Biden's team, you know, the the double masking while walking around outside and yet cozying up to nonagenarian former presidents makes no sense. There's there's a lot of inconsistency. But anytime the inconsistency is challenged, which it usually is from conservative media and from the right, because the mainstream media has embraced this idea that he's this healing power rather than just a political leader, they should be challenging. The, the, the response is that kind of highfalutin language of like, you just have to understand that, you know, we inherited such a mess and everything was so broken and we have to fix it. And so one of the ways we're fixing it is by, you know, being kind of extreme in terms of how we protect the safety and the health of Americans. It's very paternalistic. And I know there's a constituency that absolutely adores that because they've, we've all spent a year, you know, anxious and concerned and we've lost more than half a million Americans. It's, it's been a tragic, difficult, challenging year. But now I agree that we should start criticizing that messaging because it's now having the counterintuitive effect of actively harming a lot of people. It's harmed. We know it's harmed our nation's school children. It's going to start harming people who might otherwise have an incentive to go get vaccinated. It's just and it's, it's harmful now. I think we can start saying this is harmful. This is not helping. This is harming. That's why, you know, the Johnson Johnson thing is a really great way to illustrate a concept that's otherwise difficult to convey which is that excess risk aversion is risk in and of itself. Usually that's tough to, to, to talk about because when you don't eat shellfish because you're afraid of uh, you know, getting a stomach bug, you're just missing out on flavor. When you don't take a shower, you're going to stink because you're afraid you might slip and fall in the tub. You, you don't get in the car, eh, you may not take that long drive and that's going to be pleasurable, but otherwise, you know, at least you're alive. Here, you have a really good illustration of why this is imminently detrimental to public health and individual health, which illustrates that that concept of, you know, cloistering yourself as being in, in and of itself risky, um, which is otherwise difficult to communicate. Look, the important analogy here, you sort of mentioned driving and flying, right? So you're afraid of flying, so you drive everywhere. Let's say you won't drive across the country, you won't fly across the country, right? There hasn't been a plane crash, in, a domestic plane crash of any significance in eight years. But let's say you have to go from New York to California five times. You're going to drive 3,000 miles five times. That's, you know, 6,000 miles, 30,000 miles on the road in a car. You are much more likely to get into a car accident the longer you drive in a car than you would if you flew for five hours. That is where your idea, where the human ability to assess risk properly 
gets is 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 complicated by irrational emotions that don't take account of real risk and of course that is i think part of where where we but, are but I w- let me just say one one thing to that though it does give you it's an irrational assessment of the risk but it feels rational because of the limited degree of control you're exercising by driving the car yourself right and this is i think similar to the way that people the the emma green piece in the atlantic that that noah embraced yesterday about the progressives who are clinging to these extreme restrictions that gives a sense of control it's actually terrifying to some people to relinquish that right now. And we knew this would happen. We've discussed it throughout the past, you know, more than a year now, but it is, that's now actively, when those people are placed in positions of power, either in state and local or federal government, that's going to start harming more and more Americans. Well, you know, know, just in combination with all this, there's this idea that um, this is, you know, that, that coincides with the Biden administration's taking power, which is, that optimism is anti-science, optimism is dangerous, and optimism is ultimately Trumpian. And so you, so you cannot, so, so restoring this country's soul means being sort of, you know, gloomy about things. Well, you know, it's funny because when Obama, when Hillary was running against Trump in 2016, the entire Democratic convention was Trump's a downer. Aside from everything else that's wrong with Trump, he runs down this country. <clears throat> he should stop <clears throat> talking smack about America. America's great. Suddenly Obama and Michelle thought America was great because, of course, they got to run it for eight years. But, you know, it's enough. And I, I felt the same way. I thought that one of the one of the horrible things about Trump in 2016 was this anti-Americanism that he was, that he was ex- expressing, right? Now here we are. It's 2021. Trump who has now said our po- political system is rigged, you know, uh, I w- the election was stolen, <clears throat> you know, everything is terrible. Um, he also, like, you're now saying basically that what Trump said was, and and then he then he said these delusional positive things, right? Which is you know we're 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 rounding the corner. He said just as death rates were peaking, you know, or like hadn't even peaked yet. Uh, because he wanted people to feel better, or he thought it was going to be better for his reelection, or something like that. Yeah, why can't they go positive? Anyway, so I'm going positive. 248 million people have gotten the vaccine. That's great. That's an amazing thing. It happened in the space of uh, of what uh, four months, four and a half months, something like that. Despite all of the bizarre roadblocks that were put in the way of people getting them even faster, which could have could have taken place without this, you know, bizarre notion i think that there wasn't going to be vaccine hesitancy they seem to think that the vaccine was something that everyone would want so much that we would steal it from old people or whatever so i'm going to be positive i'm now going to be positive and say it's amazing 248 million doses people got them uh the americans who who understand the the vaccines are the way to get us through into a better future have been vaccinated millions more had COVID and have the antibodies. I bet we're much closer to, you know, as we hit the demand wall, we're probably going to see the, we're going to see this uh, drastic decline in cases and deaths. We were at 40,000 cases yesterday. We were at 49,000 cases the day before. Um, That itself is a sign of a a potentially, you know, sort of, uh, what do you call that, asymptotic, or I don't know, more math terms that I'm going to get wrong. Um, And we should be proud of ourselves and the hell with everybody in Washington who is useless. And with that, I will uh, bid you adieu till tomorrow. For Abe, Christina, Noam, John Podhoritz, keep the candle burning.